Hey, before we uh, go into the message, a couple just a important thing. The first one um, is that we have our Operation Christmas Child. Hopefully, you've been doing these in the boxes. I just wanted to this reminder that these are due next week, and if you don't bring them next week, then you can drive them to Denver yourself, and that would be not be fun. <laughs> but we would love to drive them down there for you. So if you have these. Bring them next week. I would so appreciate it. If you want, if you haven't met one yet, we've got some open boxes there and also the lists in order to how to fill them and to give them to, to kids and all that kind of stuff. So you've got one week. All right. Second thing. I've been, uh, this is not my message. This is, uh, but y- I don't know if you've noticed, but the world is kind of coming undone. And, uh, and it, it we, we look at, I, I've stayed away from news, but here in the last two weeks, I've broken my own vow to stay away from news because of what is happening in the Middle East and Israel and uh, and obviously I know a lot of us our hearts are, are torn and uh, just broken over the things that are that are happening there and yesterday we gathered as a community to pray for that but I want to give you a little bit of context as to from a biblical perspective as a pastor because it helps us to know really how to be praying and engaging in that is that uh, about uh, over two and a half millennia ago this prophet named uh, Zechariah came, and he gave several prophecies about what would be happening to God's people, and uh, some of those things were fulfilled uh, in, in Christ, but there were a few prophecies that have yet to be fulfilled, and and I want to read you one of them, because just as a student of the word, these things are for us. In Zechariah 12.1, it says, The Lord who stretches out the heavens who lays the foundations of the earth and who forms the human spirit within a person declares, I'm going to make Jerusalem a cup that sends all the surrounding peoples reeling. Judah will be besieged as well as Jerusalem. And on that day, when all the nations of the earth gathered against her, I will make Jerusalem an immovable rock for all the nations. All who try to move it will will injure themselves. On that day, I will strike every horse with panic and its rider with madness, declares the Lord. I will keep a watchful eye over Judah, but I will blind all the horses of the nations. Then the clans of Judah will say in their hearts, the people of Jerusalem are strong because the Lord Almighty is their God. And on that day, I will make the clans of Judah like a fire pot in a wood pile, like a flaming torch amongst the sheaves. They will consume all the surrounding peoples right and left, but Jerusalem will remain intact in her place. The Lord will save the dwellings of Judah first, so that the honor of the house of David and of Jerusalem's inhabitants may not be greater than that of Judah. On that day, the Lord will shield those who live in Jerusalem, so that the feeblest among them will be like David, and the house of David will be like God like the angel of the Lord going before them. On that day, I will set out to destroy all the nations that attack Jerusalem. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, and get this, centuries before Jesus came, they will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. On that day of weeping in Jerusalem will be as great as the weeping of Hadad Raman on the plain of Megiddo. And the land will mourn, each clan by itself, with their wives 
by themselves and the clan of the house of David and their wives and the clan of the house of Nathan and their wives and the clan of the house of Levi and their wives and the clan of Shimei and their wives and all the rest of the clans and their wives. And on that day, a fountain will be opened in the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and impurity. We read in scripture something that we can't fathom in our mind, the wholesale evangelism of Israel. There is a potential that what we are witnessing today is the beginning of the fulfillment of that prophecy. And the reason that I point that out is because when we lose perspective of scripture, we can become fearful. And fear leads us to anger, and it oftentimes leads us away from what God wants. But recognize that God is sovereign and that his promises are true. And that when we pray in power in this, if what God is doing is opening the doorway of salvation for a nation, then instead of fear, I think we need to pray with joy and with compassion that God is in control, right? And so that changes our entire perspective. And if I'm reading this out of time and maybe God has a future time for this, who cares? He's still sovereign <laughs> and he's still doing his thing. But uh, as you read the word, I think that's very profound of what we're reading and what we're seeing today. Uh, I think the world has waited millennia and we may be the time that gets to witness those things. So that's pretty exciting. So with that, let's talk about spiritual disciplines because it matters, doesn't it? I mean, our faith is not just a great idea. Our following Jesus isn't just one of amongst other religions or things that could happen. We have a real, true, living God who forms people, right? Who, who has formed history, and he's active today. And so how we live now matters more than really anything. Are we following after him? And, and Jesse, I think, did a great job last week. It was a shame that hardly anybody could be here because of the snow and sickness and there was no power. But talking about why these disciplines matter. Like, we, we don't drift into maturity, right? I, I, um, and he talked about even starting to exercise. With if, if we're not exercising, what happens is our bodies naturally atrophy, right? No one just, you know, gets into a, their, their lazy boy and all it comes out, you know, like, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger. This just doesn't happen. We, if, if you want to find health, there's discipline to it. You've got to get up early. You've got to work out. If you want to get good at the piano, there's discipline to it. You've got to practice and practice and practice, right? Discipline is what brings us to greater things. And we will always naturally drift into destruction. That's just the way that the world goes. And so spiritual maturity is... is predicated upon disciplines. That's why we're called disciples of Jesus. And if disciple sounds a lot like discipline, it should. Because we're those who practice the disciplines. And for those of you who are like, well, my God is too nice, he wouldn't discipline me. Well, let me say, our God is so kind that he has, he has taken the punishment that you deserve. And he will never punish you if you are in Christ. But because he's a loving God, he will always discipline. What's the difference? Punishment is about justice. You're gonna, you did this wrong, you're going to suffer that much. Discipline is, this is where you should be and this is where you are, and we're going to do everything we need to to bring you up to where you need to be. That's discipline. And these disciplines are just that. They're not punishments. We don't have spiritual disciplines because God has got some kind of sadistic you know, joy about watching Christians do things that are miserable. That's not it. 
that God gives us the joy, the opportunity to be disciplined, to rise above the, the, the decaying way of life that we see in the world around us. And that discipline draws us up, and we need to be mature, especially in days like today. And that's why I think even the, uh, the Apostle Paul in Corinthians, he writes, all athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. Right? People in this world are disciplined about all kinds of things. And yet everything that they, you financial discipline, people are disciplined with their health, they do all kinds of things like that. All that stuff is temporary, and it's good. But if we're going to be disciplined on anything, shouldn't we be disciplined spiritually? Now, shouldn't we be preparing ourselves to be mature and, and active and able to, to live according to, to God's ways, building his kingdom for his glory? Because here's a cool thing, he's coming back. And that's a glory that doesn't pass. If I'm going to put my energy into anything, should it not be this first? In fact, this is such an important text that it's our anchor verse for the series, which is why in your, your green connection card, it's there. It's on a perforated card so you can take this to remind ourselves to make sure that we're focusing on what matters most. And this morning, we're going to talk about the wonderful spiritual discipline of prayer. And so the first thing I th that you would ask is, why pray? Why does prayer even matter? I struggled with this because I'm a reasonable human. And I would say to myself, God knows everything. He knows my innermost thoughts. Isn't that what scripture says? He knows my desires even more so than I do. He is sovereign. He's known the end before the beginning. And he knows all the details about today. He knows everything that needs to happen. Why does he need me to tell him about it? What's the big deal? Why would God even ask me to pray? Why should I have to? Which just showed what a bad attitude I have as a person. Right? I, I would say this, that God wants a relationship with us. And what is prayer? Well, it's communion with the spiritual, right? It, it's, it's, it's talking to, into the spirit. And we're not supposed to pray to angels or anybody else that's dead, but we get to pray to God. So for a Christian, our prayer is communication with God. And think about relationship. Every good relationship has relationship has communication. I mean, if you see a couple that, you know, you're watching you go down and, and they're having dinner together and they're at a restaurant and they don't say two words to each other, something's not right. Uh, if you can go, I don't know if you've ever been on like a long car ride with somebody you're kind of irritated with, the last thing you want to do is talk. Right? Everybody just looks out the opposite windows. When there's no communication, there's no relationship. And God came so that we could know him and that he could know us and that we could be loved. It's important that we communicate with God. And that's one of the reasons why in Scripture and, and throughout history, every great person of God, there's anything amazing, has been a person of prayer. Every single one. In fact, even the word himself, Christ, when he put on flesh, was known for being a man of prayer. I mean, so much so his disciples even said, how do you do it? If every great person who's done anything important for the kingdom has been a person of prayer, then maybe it's something that's important. But also prayer opens up our lives. It, uh, 
It helps us to commune with God. It brings joy into our life. But I think another reason we pray is something that we've witnessed even this last week, which has drawn drew our whole community together to pray for what's happening in the Middle East, is that we have a real enemy. That just as much as God is real, let's be... God, there is an enemy. There's Lucifer, the Satan, the devil, whatever you want to call him. We don't even know his real name because who cares? It just means he's the adversary. He's, he's our ops. He's a bad guy. And he's resisting God's ways. And because we are in God's kingdom, he resists us. And he doesn't sleep. And he's not bound to physical laws of nature, things like that, but is very intelligent. And has, as Ephesians tells us, has a lot of a power and authority. And things happen. And if we think that we're going to outpower and outsmart our enemy, we don't have any idea how feeble-minded and weak we truly are. One thing that we, ne- we pray for as well is because we see God's kingdom come, we need to rely upon God. And that means we have to have communication with him. Prayer matters. In fact, Ephesians 6.10 says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. The, the devil is real, and we see that happening today, right? And I'm not just in the Middle East, but don't we see that happening throughout our country, right? And in the cities right now, where we, I mean, it's just dangerous to, to go to so many places that used to be jewels <laughs> in our country, right? That how crazy that is, right? We see the devil's schemes happening in so many of our homes. Uh, how many relationships and marriages are just destroyed how many the, the the relationship between parent and child even as adult children and parents is being attacked it's crazy the devil is active and real and we need to be able to stand against it and god says well i've given you armor so armor up so he goes on to say for our struggle is why it's not against fresh flesh and blood but against the rulers against the authorities against the powers of the dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms so as we pray for Israel, right, uh, this is something that's huge for us. Because for me as a human, I see humans doing acts of brutality, and then I hate the humans who do those things. And what I want is God's retributive justice upon them. And this is just Aaron being Aaron, and I'm a horrible person, and I get that, right? But I'm like, Lord, just send down fire. You've done Sodom and Gomorrah. Just do it again. Just clean it up. But I realize that I deserve that fire, too. And so then I'm like, well, yeah, bring them justice, just don't bring me justice, which isn't justice at all. That I recognize that, that people have, have been brought up in a lie by the devil. He tricks us to doing awful things, and we think what we're doing is righteous. We can even become terrorists, and don't think of ourselves that we are somehow just better than other people, that we would never fall for this trick. The devil can trick good people in doing acts of terror and thinking that they're doing righteous things. And he doesn't just do that in foreign lands. How many of us terrorize our families thinking that we're right? The enemy is powerful. And the enemy is a spiritual enemy. And if somebody has flesh, they are an image bearer of Christ. They are part of God's creation. They are not what they appear to be. If we're going to fight and win the battle, if we're going to be effective in the kingdom, right, we have to recognize the true source of where evil resides and where it comes from. And so we can put our energies towards the right things. And scripture tells us it's a spiritual reality, a spiritual battle that we're in. And we have to engage it on a spiritual level. So our enemy's powerful 
and he's strategic, and so we must be strategic and powerful in how we engage. Not the wrong things, because what do we do as people? Somebody does something wrong to me, right? I recognize, I think that this person is now my enemy, and I do something evil to them. And I just perpetuate a cycle of death and destruction and hatred and brokenness, and the devil wins. There's a better way. And so one of the reasons why we pray, right, is this, is that prayer connects us to God's wisdom. I can't trust myself. And if you grow in any level of maturity, you're going to recognize the more mature you become, the less you're able to trust, you recognize you should have ever trusted yourself to begin with. Our best thinking has made the world the way it is. I need more than my mind. I need a greater insight than what I naturally have, right? And how on earth could I have that? Well, thanks be to God that he gives us access to his wisdom. In fact, brother of, of Jesus, James writes this. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, and I like he says, if any of you, yeah, all of us, what do we do? You should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Like God doesn't do a credit check first. I think it's amazing. You're not like, well, I tried to give you wisdom before, and then you still did something boneheaded. No. If you lack wisdom, start with humility. In fact, if you think you have wisdom, that's the best time for humility. And say, God, I really need to know what you want. Ask him. And the cool thing is, is that we don't have to be perfectly eloquent in this. We just have to be open to it. Say, God, I need you to direct me on this. And it says, and it will be given to you. That's why if anybody ever comes to me and talks to me in my office or out and they ask for help, I'm constantly praying the entire time, God, give me wisdom. Because the worst thing that I could do is give you my counsel. Because you don't need Aaron. I'm not your savior. But what you really need, and the reason that you're coming and talking to a pastor is not because you want my advice, is you say, is there something scripturally? Is there something that God wants me to do? And so for me, I'm like, I'm not God. So what do I do? I ask, and I ask, and I ask, and God answers. But he will do that for you as well. So in the midst of every decision, in the midst of every conversation, as things come up, we ask for his wisdom so we can act wisely. Aren't you glad that we have access to God's wisdom that keeps us, takes us off of this carousel of death? Yeah. But there's another reason that we pray. It's not just that it connects us to God's wisdom, but also it engages God's power. Right? I can't change the world. You can't change the world. The world is really big. It's a powerful, big thing, and there's a devil there, and there's brokenness of people, and there's history, all kinds of stuff. I'm not going to change anything, but you know who can change the world? The one who created the world. He's got the power. In Psalm 107, it says this, Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. Now, this is another time throughout all of history. There's so many places in the scripture I could have verses like this. That when the people of God were overwhelmed, outnumbered, outgunned, and outsmarted, finally they would throw up their hands, and they say, We are in distress. Have you ever been there? I I don't have the ability to get through this. And we go to God, and he saves them. He does what we cannot do. In fact, I think there are times that God allows us to go into those situations so that he can demonstrate the reality, which is always present, is that he's with us. 
and that he's sovereign still, and he's bigger than this world or anything else. Let's not forget that the God who saves us is the one at the very beginning hovered above chaos and then brought order out of it. It's who he is. He can bring stuff out of nothing. Which is why the Christian is never without hope because we are never without God's wisdom and we are never without God's power because we are never without God. But isn't it interesting that he didn't save them from their distress until they cried out to the Lord? I think part of this is how do we know that it was him? And God wants relationship. There are big things that are happening in this world. There are huge things that are happening in your life, some of which you will not be able to make sense of, some things that are just totally outside of your p- control or power, but they are not outside of God's understanding, and they're not outside of his ability to do good things with them. They are not outside of his ability to, to change. He can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants, so let's ask him. And so we, we gain that power, but also there's another thing reason that we pray not just this world is broken we recognize the enemies against us the third thing is that that prayer disrupts the enemy's capabilities right in the the gospel of mark chapter uh, nine is a really interesting thing jesse even talked about this last week as he talks about the power of fasting but there was uh, jesus had sent his disciples out to go and cast out demons and to you know heal people miraculously showing that he was he was authorizing them to have portions of his power as they talked about that Jesus was Messiah. It's validating. That was pretty awesome. And they were going out and they were doing this. And Jesus takes some of his disciples up on a mountain and they have a really great time. They come back down. And they come back down. Some of the disciples are there. And uh, they didn't get to go on a mountain with them. And uh, there was this massive crowd and there was all this, this uh, the people were, were arguing and things like this. And Jesus is like, what's the deal? What's going on? And uh, Disciples are like, well, there's this boy here who uh, has a de- an evil spirit in him. He's a, uh, been possessed by a uh, demon. And we've been able to cast out all these other demons, but this one we just can't seem to cast out. And so Jesus, of course, uh, commands the, the demon to leave, and it does. Not a big old show, just gone. Boys healed, all that kind of stuff. And later the disciples say to Jesus, well, why is it that we couldn't cast this particular one out? And in the mysterious fashion that Jesus always kind of answered things in, he said this, Jesus replied, this kind can only come out by prayer, right? Some versions say prayer and fasting. Well, I think that's fascinating because we do have the authority of God. The Holy Spirit is uh, now dwells within us. We have all of that. And yet somehow mysteriously, there are times when there are strongholds and there are enemies of God in which it's not just our command that drives them out but our submission to God and asking him to come in and to pray. That is humbling to me. I don't understand why. Jesus doesn't give us an explanation. He doesn't say, now let me sit you down and tell you the spiritual realities as to why it works like that. He doesn't. He just said, this is the way it is, so deal with it. If you come across something and it's not happening, pray. And when you pray, you are connected to God's power, and God is always at opposition to his opposition, right? the devil. And so there is no work or stronghold of the devil that cannot be ultimately destroyed, but sometimes it's more than us just claiming truth. Sometimes it's us bending a knee and saying to God, I can't move this, but I need your help. The great thing is, is that even the most strong demon 
the, 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 the most difficult stronghold of the enemy can be broken down when we engage God through prayer. That's a powerful reason. And I've seen it happen many times in the last two decades that I have had the privilege of serving you. We've seen people set free from addiction, which has been, to me, just one of the most remarkable things. Um, you know, when everything else failed, God somehow came through. We've seen relationships restored that we thought would never happen. We've seen people come to Christ who were so far from God, they hated him. And then God transforms their hearts. I, we've seen the impossible happen. And not just once or twice. This is why we pray for you. And God doesn't always answer our prayers by giving us what we ask for. He always gives us what's according to his will, which is always good. I'll give you an example. Like my wife we prayed for years. God would heal her. And he can, anytime he wants to. But when he gave her the answer, I don't want to heal you. I want to use this. And I need you to be strong in this. And I'm going to give you the strength. Well, that was huge. And how many people have we seen move towards Jesus and have had their lives transformed because of not in her healing, but in the strength that God has given her to in her suffering? God always answers, and he will always undo the works of the devil. So we pray. So how do you pray? Well, that's a great question. Well, Jesus gives us an example in the Sermon on the Mount. And I preached on it this summer. It was a great sermon. You should go listen to that particular message. I go in depth a little bit more. Right? But in this uh, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is telling his folk, his disciples, when you talk to God, this is how you're supposed to do it. So if, if you have your Bibles, you're going to turn to Matthew chapter 6. So I'm going to read it for you, starting in verse 5. And it's one of two places that we find this particular teaching in Scripture. But it says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. That's prayers for show. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans. For they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, there's a lot of ways this has been taught on <laughs> throughout the centuries, and there's so much as Jesus' teachings always have, many layers of depth. But I'm going to go on the very surface the very top, just, just three essential attributes about prayer, how we go into prayer from this passage. And the first thing uh, from that 30,000-foot view that we see is that what God wants in prayer is he wants us to pray with honesty. He says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. Hypocrites were play actors. God's not interested in you pretending to be somebody and that you're not. He's not interested in you putting on a show. He's not interested in you I impressing other people by how well you pray or the eloquence of your words. God has a better uh, uh, vocabulary than you do. You're not going to impress him. But here's what he wants. He wants honesty. If you can't pray it in private, then maybe you shouldn't be praying it in public. 
right? If it's not real to you, then it's not going to be a real heartfelt call to God. We need to be honest with God when we pray. And sometimes honesty is ugly, right? But realize that God knows you. Do you have doubt? Tell him. Are you frustrated? Let him know. Are you afraid? He's you're not going to shock him. Like, what? You're afraid? I can't believe you. But bring yourself to God, but then also ask what's really there in your heart. If you ask for something that is boneheaded, that's okay. God's not going to smack you upside the head. He's just not going to give you that boneheaded thing. Right? It, it'd be like, you know, a, maybe a 16-year-old wants, you know, a, a V8 supercharged engine car. And he asks his dad, can I buy that? No, I'm not going to give that to you. But I will give you what you truly do need. In fact, later on, at the end of Jesus' ministry, there was another time he was asked by others, say, tell us how to pray. And he gives them this very same prayer, but at the end of that, he follows it with, you know, your God is, is a good father. And even evil fathers know how to answer their, their children's requests by giving them good things. And if, as humans, imperfect as we are, know how to do that, how much more your perfect heavenly father? If we ask him for something, won't he really hear us and give us what is absolutely right and good? There is no risk in being honest with God, none whatsoever. But there is a huge, huge risk when we are dishonest with him, when we're pretending, when we're, we're doing things for show. He's like, he's not going to answer that. He's not going to reward that. So let's go to God with honesty. The second thing that he, we find in here is that we have to pray with faith. It does, the world the kingdom of God and our own spiritual development no good when we ask God for things that require no faith, right? That if God doesn't have to be involved in it, why are you asking him about it, right? He says, when you pray, uh, do not keep on babbling like the pagans do, for they think that they'll be heard because of their many words, right? There's no faith in that. It's just, I'm going to say this thing over and over again, which is why I think sometimes the Lord's Prayer, oddly enough, is oftentimes misused, and people say it over and over again, babbling along like pagans, thinking that God will hear them. God wants to hear from you, but he wants to hear real faith. If you're going to talk to him, believe that he can actually hear you and answer you. And if you have trouble believing that he can hear you and answer, still go to him and be honest with him and say, I'm having a hard time trusting this, but here's my faith enough that I'm coming to you out of the hope that you will. But prayers uttered in faith are powerful. Prayers uttered and just like, I just have to say this because it's obligation. God's not interested in that. It's just yammering, yam, 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 yam. And God just doesn't have much interest in that. But if you're hearing from you and you're like, God, I need you. Here's my distress. Here's how I need your help. He is moved by that because he's a good heavenly father. And so Jesus then gives us a suggested outline. This is what, how we were supposed to use the Sermon on the Mount, not as a prayer that we just recite over and over again. It's good to recite it because it's good to remember the things that he says, this is how we should pray. But I think that's more than just something that we recite. <laughs> the outline I think he gives us, I'm going to put it in our own thing, I think that as he tells us this is a way that we pray, it's a good thing to do, he starts with this. He starts with God's name. It's important that we pray to the right God. If you are praying to Buddha or Allah or your, uh, your dead relatives from 100 years ago, if, if you're praying to the spirits or anything else, well, 
then you're appealing to their power, and God says don't do that anyway, but it's just dumb. He says, talk to me. And it's important for us to remember who we're talking to, right? So our Father in heaven is how he begins. Our prayers as Christians are directed to God, which is fascinating. Now recognize, you guys know that I grew up Catholic, and this was very difficult for me because I was under the impression that, you know, the Pope talks to God. Who am I? I'm just little old Aaron. I, and no, I don't have the right to talk to Jesus. He's like the big CEO. He's not going to hear from Aaron. I'm going to talk to the people that Jesus knows, and they're going to put a good word in for me. But Jesus says that we could talk directly to the Father, our Father in heaven. Well, there are times when I start my prayers with God, my Father, but there are other times that we see in Scripture that the prayers begin with God, our protector, God, our provider, God, the lover of my soul, Lord God, my refuge, Jesus, the Prince of Peace, all the same God. But it's who he is that matters. It directs how we pray. And after we pray, we address our prayers to the right God. <laughs> then we pray for his glory. Because that's what it's truly about first. What a great recentering. This world isn't about me or you. It's not about our country. It's not about this church. It's not about humanity at all. Ultimately, who is worthy? God. And everything in the world comes back into balance and meaning when we put Christ at the center again. And it's amazing how oftentimes when we pray that in God's worthiness, how all of a sudden our problems start to have a better perspective. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Will your name be kept holy? But there are times I say, you know, <laughs> my God, the, the prov my provider. Right? You are the, the owner of, a, of every single thing. You're the author of life. You are the giver of goodness. And then I move into what I'm going to be praying for. This reminds us of why God is worthy. It reminds us that we're not going to some weird king who is ambivalent to our needs. We're not going to some deity that is capricious in his way that he treats us. We're going to the God of righteousness, the God of truth, the God of glory. And it reframes what we need to talk to him about. It builds our faith too. But we pray for him. And then we ask, and this is something that we oftentimes miss, we pray for God's will. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How often do we just go to God and say, God, this is my will. I would prefer it to be done on earth and in heaven, preferably. But instead, what a wonderful thing to be able to begin with God. I don't even know what your will is, but I ultimately know whatever it is that you want, I want to want that. And whatever it is, is going to be better than what I ask for. And sometimes his will can be very, very simple. God, your will be done. I'm struggling with this sin, and I need your help your forgiveness, but also your help. Give me and create in me a clean heart. God, your will be done. You're a God of peace, and there is disharmony in my home, and I don't know how to make harmony in my home. I'm beyond myself. Your will be done. Be the Prince of Peace in me and through me. We ask for God's will, and we invite it. So what is it that God wants from you? Maybe you know, and you just need his help with that.
But maybe there's a part of God's will that you need help even discovering. <laughs> Ask him for wisdom. He'll give it to you. As we have pray for his will in our lives, then what do we do? His provision. Because are we able to do the works of God in this world? Not under our own power. It's not going to happen. You know, God has called our church to be part of saturating the Estes Valley with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's happening, but that will not happen by the intellect or the talents or the, the ability of just the people in this room. God's going to have to work. He is working. That's why we pray. His provision to carry out His will, and He will make it happen. And if you have any doubts of it, I encourage you, why don't you read Exodus? Because God provided slaves an ability to walk out of a land plundering the most powerful country on earth and defeating natural law itself to becoming a, an eternal people. Our God can do anything. He is able to fund anything he wants to fund. He's able to make anything happen so that he so desires. It's not a question of what can we do. The question is what does God want to do. So ask him, invite him to to finance his work in your life. Provide what you need. Maybe it's a material thing. Maybe it's health. Uh, maybe it's an opportunity. Maybe it's wisdom. We ask for his provision. And then uh, we also, you know, say, give us today our daily bread. It's also, there's in there some things that I want. Because I sometimes have a hard time differentiating my wants and God's desires. But God also wants me to bring to things. I want these things. And, and oftentimes, in my mind, they're good things. I'm going to talk to him about it. Right? I think about, even like when, I, when I'm coaching football, I'm like, Lord, please let him catch the ball. <laughs> you think that God is up there and be like, I can't believe you asked that stupid request. Sometimes he says yes, sometimes he says no. Sometimes he's like, well, let's just see what the kid does. Right? <laughs> but I'm going to bring to him my wants and desires. And you have been given the privilege to go into your heavenly father and ask him for those things, for his provision. But we also, as we do that, and I think this is cool that it happens after we bring to him the things in our heart, then we go deep. Now we're talking about relationship, God's forgiveness. Forgive us our debts, forgive us our trespasses, forgive us our sins. Y your translation, the same thing, right? However we've sinned, God forgive me. And you can be specific. You've already asked him for those things, but you don't want to have a break in relationship. God's not just there to just give us stuff. He wants, he wants us to be made whole. And I think he, Jesus puts the, this point in the sermon because, or in the prayer because we're often so self-focused, we can't get to the point of saying, what's where are my true spiritual needs until we have all of our felt needs. <laughs> at least we've talked to him about them first. But get to it at some point. Where is it that you're missing the, the mark with God? Ask for his help. But also make sure that you're forgiving other people. What a great time. Why is it that God would, would want to bless you if you're harboring great hatred and unforgiveness against other people? Jesus gives a lot of parables about that. He's, he's not real keen on, on uh, forgiving us when we're not willing to forgive other people. In fact, this particular version of in, 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 in this gospel, uh, what Jesus gives the, sermon or the uh, Lord's Prayer, he follows it up by saying, so if you want to be forgiven, you need to forgive. It's important to him. So we do an introspection. Where is the anger and the hurt and, and the rage? Where is the unforgiveness in my heart? If I'm asking forgiveness, how do I also forgive others? And you're going to need God's help to forgive other people. right? And, and if you don't think you do, then you're not being honest with yourself. Because that's one of the hardest things that we can do. So ask for God's forgiveness. And then we get to God's protection. Deliver us from the enemy. right? That's what he says. 
the enemy is real. You'll notice that doesn't take up the whole thing in prayer. The devil is powerful, he's real, but he's not everything. In fact, I think it's so cool, there's almost a footnote in, in the prayer that God has with, he's like, if I'm working through you, you're going to be destroying the devil, just walking over him all the time. But yeah, you need to prepare, pray for protection. But the devil is not, a, it's not on par with God, <laughs> even at all. Just pray, just remind yourself, there's an enemy there, God, I need your help with this. Protect me. Deliver me from this trial, deliver me from myself, deliver me from temptation. And so this is an amazing outline. If you're wondering how to pray, how to develop a prayer life, since we've all memorized the Lord's Prayer, it's easy to kind of walk through it. And as we walk through it, then it helps us to kind of frame our prayers to make sure that we're having a holistic prayer. It's, and it's, it's a wonderful prayer. This is how we pray. It's, it's a prayer to get us started. But you know that's not the only way that we see prayer? In fact, there's a lot of places in Scripture, there's all kinds of different prayers. It's not like you have to use this format, otherwise it's not accepted. This is a way that helps us to connect with God. In fact, Ephesians 6.18 says this, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. This is after it tells us to put on the full armor of God. Well, that says all, all occasions, right, with all kinds of prayers. So there's more than one kind of prayer. Sometimes the prayers are help. Sometimes the prayers are yay, God. Sometimes, well, that's a beautiful sunset. Sometimes the prayers are, I just need wisdom right now. Pray on all occasions. Talk with God. But when you do, be honest and be faithful. But for those of you who are keeping track in your notes, you think I might have forgot the third essential element there, and I didn't. <laughs> and the third thing that we have to be is this. Be persistent. Okay? We need to keep at it. Why? Why does God care that we stay persistent in prayer? I don't know. He's eternal, so maybe, I don't know. He, he's fine with it. He wants us to be persistent in prayer. It matters to him. So as we pray, if God doesn't answer your prayers immediately, keep going to him over and over and over again. It's something that, that he's working in us. And when we do, just remember that God truly is listening. Just because he doesn't jump when we say jump doesn't mean he hasn't heard us. Continue knowing that he's listening. That's why in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, it says this. Don't be anxious about anything. You're like, well, that's easy. <laughs> well, how am I not going to be anxious about anything? In every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. That's all the time. It's when this world has things like wars happening around us, or violence happening, or, or things happening in our finances. In every situation, because I'm in a situation right now, and so are you, so I can pray. We petition, we ask God with thanksgiving, thanking him for who he is. We present our request to God and get this, and then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We need peace now more than ever. Peace comes when we're connecting with God. We come to him at all times, but we thank him first for who he is, right? We bring all those things to him, persistence, continue to go to him at all times, it's amazing how God brings us a peace, a stability in our lives so we're not rocked by the craziness of this world and we are then more mature and able to withstand the, the stuff that's happening so we're able to act according to what God wants. We're able to be agents of peace in a chaotic world. So pray with honesty, pray with faith, pray with persistence. And as we do, let's remember that prayer is a powerful thing. It engages us with God's wisdom, right? It, it, uh, it engages God's power. It disrupts the enemy. It, it, it works in an amazing way in our life to be able to allow us to grow and to mature and become the people God called us to be. So how do you practice that? Well, 
on your connection cards, uh, there's a couple things that I'm going to encourage you to do. And as I'm pulling through this, I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. Isn't it awesome to have the Ravencrestors here today? It's so awesome to have you guys here. First thing I'm going to ask you to do is to memorize 1 Corinthians 9.25. Why? We need to remember that we are not just... Uh, uh, we're not just practicing these things to win a, a, a temporary prize, right? What we are in is an eternal uh, battle, <laughs> right? Uh, well, we're in a part of an eternal kingdom. We're in a temporary battle, but an eternal kingdom. And we have an eternal God, an eternal relationship. And how we grow in Christ matters not just for this world, but also forever, right? So spiritual disciplines have enormous and, and everlasting rewards. So, so memorize that. Focus on it. Because... Uh, Getting a new discipline takes effort and time, and it's good to have God's Word remind us this is why we're in it. Second thing I'm going to ask you to do is to read Philippians chapter 4. And why? Because you want a peace that surpasses understanding. I know you do. I, I, I know that you want to have God's power in your life. Well, I want you to get the whole context as to what's going on in there. What does God say? How do we get to this prayer where we're leading the prayer at all these moments with thanksgiving? Read Philippians 4. I think you're going to find it to be encouraging and instructive and helpful. Also, pray for five. Five what's? Well, a couple things. You know this on your, your boat chair back pockets. There's our five commitments that we're supposed to do. The very first one is I would like our church and encourage every one of us to be praying five days a week together. There are five different areas in our church that we need to be praying for, for fulfilling what God has called us to do. We need his direction, his wisdom, his protection, his power. We need all of that. And if we're not all going to God for those things, then, then we're, in, we're in trouble. So I'm encouraging us, let's, let's work together and start praying. And if you don't know what to pray for, that's a great way to start. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I put on my phone every single day, little repeating alarm. So every Monday, you know, it tells me this is what we're praying for on Tuesday. Just pray make that commitment. Join us in prayer. Prayer is powerful and persistence is cool. Another thing I want you to pray for in fives are five people. Five people that you know who need to know Jesus or need at least a church family. Right? We're gonna, we are saturating this valley with the gospel. God has called us to it. He's providing for it. It's going to happen. But we need to do our part. So be praying. And if you don't have five people that you know, then ask him to bring people into your life and he will. So make that commitment. Pray for five. Something else to do? Pray for, oh, I don't know, Maybe there's a person, maybe there's something in your life that you just really need to bring to God. Make that commitment this week. This is what you're going to be persistent in. You're going to be going to God. This, uh, make that commitment. You'll be practicing the discipline of prayer this week. Of course, if you're here this morning and Jesus isn't your Savior, then prayer is not something that really you can do. We, we have the privilege of talking to God as Christians because our sins have been paid for, and so we have access to God's throne room where he's at. It, it, if you are not saved, then you still bear the weight of sin. And God is a holy God. And so prayer for you is not going to be effective or powerful. The first thing that you do is that God came to us first. Before we get to speak to him, he spoke to us. He gave us the gospel, the good news. He sent us Jesus himself to come to this earth to die on a cross for our sins so that they could be paid for. That you would be saved by God's grace through your faith Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And when that happens, all of your sins, past, present, and future, are paid for, and you are cleansed and made whole. He sanctifies you so you have access to him in prayer anytime, any day. And so for you, before you pray, if, if you're not a follower of Jesus, this is the step you need to take. And I encourage you, I plead with you, don't leave this morning before you take that step. And if, if you need to do that, I'm going to be in the back, come talk with me. 
and you're in luck. We have baptisms today too, and I'll talk to you about why that's such a wonderful thing and such a joyful step of faith. So if that's you, take that step. But for all of us, we have something that God wants us to do. So mark it on your connection card. Why? Because I pray for you and I support you, but also it's a commitment you're making between yourself and God today. You say, I'm doing this. And, and that you're appealing for his help when you do. So mark it down, put it in the offering basket as it's passed here in just a moment. Let me pray for you as you make those commitments. Heavenly Father, we love you. you know, Lord, we, we look at your, uh, your word and we're encouraged that you didn't leave us in this world to try to figure it out on our own. We recognize there's the enemy, but we're grateful that you are bigger than him. We see the brokenness in this world and we know that you're the great fixer. Father God, we great, draw great hope in who you are. So today, Lord, help us to become one step more faithful today than we were before we came in. Help this church be a body that grows in the discipline of prayer as we connect with you in, in truth, in honesty, and in faithfulness. May we see your power disrupt the enemy, empower your good things in our lives, Father, and help us to commune with you in a deeper way. Lord, we pray all of these things in the wonderful name of Jesus, our Savior.